0: Good evening, faith family. Uh, I just wanted to welcome you into what we have planned for you tonight. It's just a time where we want to remember um, and see what suffering looks like. We want to take some time as the family of God and just sort of embrace lamenting. It's something that we don't necessarily do well in this time that we live in, is just spending time in that space. We want to quickly look past the hard times Uh, But the Lord has orchestrated in this particular season of Resurrection Weekend, He has orchestrated some hard times in the world, and it's not coincidental. And so rather than run from that, we want to step into that. We want to embrace that. We want to take a look at the cross and and spend some time at the foot of the cross just lamenting and um, seeing what the Savior did for us. In a Messianic psalm, in Psalm 22, David, a thousand years before Jesus was even born, he's he um, writes my God my God why have you forsaken me he says far from my groanings or far from my deliverance are the words of my groanings and then he says I cry by day and you don't answer and by night and I have no rest and yet then David turns his attention to praise and he says yet you are holy you are enthroned upon the praises of Israel and you are fathers trusted and you did not disappoint but then he goes on interestingly and he says Um, almost as if he's speaking for Jesus, he says, but I am a worm and not a man. And the word worm there in Hebrew actually is often translated scarlet. And when you looking forward, or looking for us, looking back now from the cross, it's, it's as if David was saying, I am covered in blood and my reproach, and I'm the reproach and the despise of people. He says, everybody sneers at me. They separate me. They wag their head. They could. They, then they say and they mock him saying, commit yourself to the Lord, let God deliver him, let the Lord rescue him because he delights in him. You can almost um, picture the thief on the cross that was mocking Jesus and saying um, he could save himself, or he said he could save the world, but he can't save himself. Well, the ironic thing is that if Jesus, Jesus could save himself, but if he had saved himself, he couldn't have saved the world. And we're going to see tonight what that took. Um That Messianic psalm, though, ends in victory. At the very end of of the psalm, in verse 27, he says, "...all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families and the nations will worship before you. For the king is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship, and all those who go down to the dust will bow before him, even he who cannot keep his soul alive. Prosperity will serve him, and it will be told to the Lord the coming generations." And then the last verse in the psalm says, They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that God has performed it. And we are those people, 3,000 years later, we are the people who are having the truth of the gospel proclaimed to us. Um, Jesus came to fulfill a mission, and he did it perfectly. And But he did it at great cost. That, that if the definition of grace is unmerited love, that love always comes at a price. And the cross is the price that God paid to, to love us graciously. And so tonight we're going to celebrate that. We're going to take a look at what that, what that looks like in beautiful music. We're going to look at some scripture meditation. Um, we're going to have uh, some pictures from the Passion movie up on the screen to help us just walk to the foot of the cross together and really just spend some time there um, thinking about what gracious love looks like. And so I, I just want to invite you um, to linger there. To not just quickly move past tonight, but, but allow your soul to linger there a little bit. And and look up at, the, at, the, at your Redeemer hanging on the cross for you. And realize that your sin and my sin and our sin and the world's sin is what put Him there. And He knew it, and that's why He came. Understand that, that Jesus walked to the cross willingly. And he did it because he loves you. He did it because he loves the world. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for um, a night where we can remember what love looks like. Like a great exclamation point on the on on the story you are telling is the cross of Jesus Christ. And because we have that story, may we lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us. And may we run with endurance this race that you have put before us, even now in this unique time in world history. And may we consider Jesus. May we fix our eyes on Christ and stay there a little bit. May we not rush past the cross to get to our best life now or be full of Um, to try to just get to the joy of the resurrection. But may we we lament a little bit. Because for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sits at the right hand of God. So may we um, be willing, for the glory that is before us when you come again, may we be willing to endure the cross to despise the shame because someday we will be with you in eternity ruling and reigning in the new heaven and the new earth but for that to happen a price had to be paid. Thank you for being willing to pay the price. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: The words of Isaiah, the prophet of God, written 700 years before the coming of the Messiah.
2: The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. The journey to
1: the cross at Calvary didn't begin in Jericho. It didn't begin in Galilee. It didn't begin in Nazareth. It didn't even begin in Bethlehem. The journey began long before. You see, before the war began, God forgave. Before a mistake could be made, forgiveness was offered. Before blame could be given, grace was provided. The one at the top took responsibility for the ones at the bottom. This is the meaning and symbolism of sacrifice. The very instrument of the cross is symbolic, the vertical beam of holiness crossing with the horizontal bar of his love for us. This has been God's plan, God's way, God's heart from
2: before the dawn of time. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Tonight we
3: focus on the end of the journey to the cross. We look at the last few days and hours of the Messiah's life, and as we do, something striking jumps out at us. As we wonder what Jesus did during many of his last few days of his life on earth and how he celebrated his last Sabbath with his disciples, guess what we find? Silence. It looks like Jesus was quiet on that day. You mean to say that with less than a week to live, that Jesus observed the Sabbath rest? You mean that with all those disciples to train and people to teach, he took a day of rest and worship? That is exactly what he did. When we would be frantically rushing to get done as much as we could, Jesus spent time getting as close to his Father as possible. If Jesus found time in the midst of a racing agenda to stop the rush and sit in the silence, do you think we could too? If he put that much importance on resting his soul and calming his spirit, do you think we should
1: too?
2: Be still and know that I am God.
1: Slow down. Be quiet. Rest your mind in this moment. Be still. If God commanded it, we need it. If Jesus modeled it, we need it. God will fill in the gaps. Trust him to do it. At least for now, be still.
4: This is Can you?
1: through the Prophet Isaiah
2: who has believed our message to whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm my servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot like a root in dry ground there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance nothing to attract us to him he was despised and rejected a man of sorrows, with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down.
1: The stage is set. Only this is no play. It is a divine plan. All eyes are on one figure, the Nazarene. This plan began before Adam was created. And now all of heaven waits and watches. Common in appearance, but uncommonly focused. Today he is on a journey, his final journey. But this is no ordinary walk and no ordinary week. For hinged on these events is the door of eternity. Let's walk with him. Let's see how Jesus spent his final hours. Let's see what mattered to God. For you see, Jesus knew how this walk ended. He had read the final chapter before the book was written. He wrote it. How God in the flesh spent his final hours here on earth should be of great interest to us, for it will reveal his heart for his children and should shape our hearts toward our God. One week before Passover.
0: I do nothing on my own, but do only what the Father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him.
1: Forget any suggestion that Jesus was trapped into what lay before him. Erase any theory that Jesus made a miscalculation. Jesus knew exactly where this road ended, for he is the one who planned it. You can tell a lot about a person by the way he dies. And the way Jesus marched to his death leaves no doubt. He knew he had come to earth for this moment.
0: Listen, we're going to Jerusalem, where the Son of Man will be betrayed into the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead.
1: Jesus wears a sovereign crown, but bears a father's heart. He is a parent who takes responsibility for his children's mistakes. But he doesn't just write a note excusing our debt. He pays the price. He doesn't just assume the blame. He seizes the sin. He became the ransom. He is the general who dies in place of the private, the king who suffers for the peasant, the master who sacrifices himself for the servant. He is the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the
2: living God. He came into the very world He created, but the world didn't recognize Him. He came to His own people, and even they rejected Him. But to all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God, They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God.
3: Before we go any further on this journey, the question must be asked, have you been reborn? If not, listen tonight for the sound of his voice that new birth brings. If you have been reborn, do you remember how you felt before Christ? Hold that thought close tonight. Now answer this question, why did he choose you? did he choose any of us? What do we have that he needs? We bring nothing to the table in this negotiation.
2: We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind.
1: Do you get the point of the question and the importance of the answer? He chose you because he wanted to.
2: God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure.
1: After all, you are his. He made you. You are his child. He brought you home. He owns you. And once upon a time, he tapped you on the shoulder and reminded you of that fact. Or perhaps tonight is the night you feel his loving tap and hear his gentle voice. No matter how long you've waited, or how much time you've wasted, you are His and He has a place for you. Don't discount the miracle of this most amazing invitation from the Lord who loves you.
0: For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many.
3: He is the Son of Man who came to give His life as a ransom, not just for the many, but for you. Do you understand the significance of this message? don't simply brush it aside as a fable don't let its familiarity cause you to lose sight of its significance make this message personal because it is personally given to you jesus did not simply come to die he came to die for you
4: So
1: 6 p.m.
0: As you go into the city you will see a certain man tell him the teacher says my time has come and I will eat the Passover with my disciples at your house
1: it was here that he celebrated the Lord's Supper for the first and last time with his disciples he is the one behind it all and the one everything points toward he was very intentional about all that he did and he did this all for a reason Notice that at the supper, Jesus is not the guest, but the host. He is not the served, but the servant. Jesus is the most active one at the table. He is not the one who reclines and receives, but the one who stands and gives. In fact, he takes this moment to stand from the table and model for his disciples and for us something rare and something wonderful,
2: humility. Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked,
0: Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you.
3: Jesus did not wait for them to do what they sh- should have known was the right thing to do. He took the initiative, and he still does. He washed away their filth, he still does. And he lifted their burdens even as he lifted the bread and the cup. So remember, when your burden is lifted, it is because a king in an apron has humbly drawn near to your heart and done for you what you could not do
2: for yourself. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples.
0: Take this and eat it, for this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the bread is broken, Christ breaks it.
2: And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks for it. He gave it to them and said,
0: Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words. I will not drink wine again until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom.
2: When the cup is poured, Christ pours it. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. The Lord's Supper is
1: a gift to us. It is the Lord's table we sit at when we take communion. When you come to his table, a shepherd of the church may give you the invitation, but it is Jesus, the chief shepherd, who wrote it in the first place. It is a holy invitation. It invites you to leave the chores and busyness of life behind and enter the peace, tranquility, and splendor of the king's table. Just as Jesus prayed for his disciples, Jesus pleads for us now before his Father. Take some time to ponder that when you come to his table tonight. Before midnight.
3: It is nearly midnight when they leave the upper room and begin walking the dusty roads through the streets of the city on the road that takes them to Gethsemane. It is a dark night. History records it as a battle of Jesus against the Jews, but it truly was a battle of God against Satan. And Jesus knew it. He knew that before this battle was over, he would be taken captive and crucified. He knew that before the glorious light of Sunday would come the blackness of Friday. He knew the outcome was certain, that He and His Father are always victorious. But He knew that before the victory of the resurrection would come the agony of the cross. And in His humanity, He was afraid. He knew that He would be shortly be betrayed by everyone, abandoned by all, including His Father. It is interesting to note that Jesus chose to spend His last few desperate minutes with His disciples in prayer. He chose to pray, but not just any prayer. He chose to pray for us.
0: I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be in us, so the world will believe you sent me.
1: Have you noticed God has a passion for the forgotten? So did Jesus. We see it in how and with whom he spent his time. Over and over again, God wants us to get the message. What society puts out, God pulls in. What humanity writes off, God writes on. What the world pulls down, God picks up. Because of this, in his final prayer, Jesus prayed for you. Mark it, because it is the truth. As Jesus stepped into the garden, you were in his prayers. As Jesus looked into heaven, you were in his vision. As Jesus' sweat drops of blood, you were on his heart. As Jesus dreamed of the day when we will be where he is, he saw you there.
3: Friday morning, 1 a.m. Then Jesus went
2: with them to a place called Gethsemane.
0: Sit here while I go over there and pray.
2: And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled.
0: My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here keep watch with me
1: now jesus steps away to be by himself never has he felt so alone what must be done only he can do but he is now in anguish his humanity begged to be delivered from what his divinity could see three times he asked his father if there's another way did he know the answer before he asked the question did his human heart hope his heavenly father had found another way we don't really know but we do know he asked to get out. We do know three times he begged for an exit. And going a little
2: farther, he fell on his face and prayed.
0: My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will.
2: Friday morning, 2 a.m. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping.
0: So, could you not watch with me for even one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak.
2: Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed.
0: My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done.
2: And again he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy so leaving them again he went away and prayed for the third time saying the same words again
3: of course Jesus would do what was pleasing to his father he saw you and I in the midst of the father's plans and submitted to his father's will but he wanted us to know he understood what it felt like to be torn between two desires to be betrayed by those you love to smell the stench of the enemy And perhaps, most of all, to beg God to change his mind and hear God say gently but firmly, no. For that is what the Father says to the Son, and of course the Son accepts the answer. God sends an angel of mercy to comfort his Son. Then Jesus stands, the anguish gone from his eyes. His fist will clench no more, his heart will fight no more. The battle is won there in that garden called Gethsemane.
2: morning 3 a.m. then Jesus came to the disciples
0: sleep and take your rest later on but look the time has come and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners rise let us be going see my betrayer is at hand
1: everyone turned against Jesus though the kiss was planted by Judas the betrayal was committed by all every person took a step but no one was willing to take a stand Even Peter turns away. As Jesus left the garden, he walked alone. The world had turned against him. He was betrayed. But it is worth noting how Jesus responded to Judas. Friend,
0: do what you have come to do.
1: Of all the names
3: we might have chosen for Judas, friend is probably not one of them. What Judas did to Jesus was completely unfair. Jesus never mistreated Judas. Judas was never left out or neglected. When Jesus points out that his betrayer is eating with them at the Last Supper, none of the disciples knew who he meant because Jesus never said it. They didn't whisper Judas' name because Jesus never did, even though he certainly knew it all along. See, Jesus understood that Judas had been called to this moment and was seduced by the enemy. He understood that Judas had a role to play in this divine conspiracy. He understood that justice will not truly come in this side of eternity. He understood that demanding that your enemy get his or her share of pain will, in the process, be more painful to you. No, Jesus looked to the future, for his eternal hope was fixed there. While going through hell, Jesus kept his eyes on heaven. While surrounded by enemies, he kept his mind on his Father. While abandoned and alone on earth, he kept his heart on home. He knew that even this betrayal was all part of the Father's plan. He knew that someday things would be different.
0: I tell you... From now on you will see the Son of Man seated at God's right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven.
1: And the hope and promise of future glory was enough for him. It should be enough for us too.
2: It was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. Why would the father
1: put his son through such agony? In a word, love. How does that unimaginable love come to those so undeserving of it? In a word, grace. But you see,
2: the prophet Isaiah goes on to tell us, He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we would be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away.
1: Friday morning, 6 a.m. Pilot looks at the lone figure in front of him, feet swollen and muddy, hands tan and calloused. One eye swollen shut, the other looking at the floor. Lower lips split open and bleeding. Hair soaked in blood matted to his forehead. Arms and thighs streaked with crimson blood. Garment soaked with the blood from his back that has been ravaged by the savage beating. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate asks. For the first time, Jesus lifts his eyes. He doesn't raise his head, but he lifts his eyes. He peers at Pilate from beneath his brow and speaks.
0: Those are your words.
1: Pilate is surprised at the tone of his voice because he expected the man in front of him to be angry or afraid. He was neither. Jesus is calm, steadfast, and immovable, for he knows his hour has come. And then Pilate asks the question of life Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? What do you do with a man who claims to be God? What do you do with a man who claims to be the Savior? What do you do with a man who knows the place and time of his death, yet goes there anyway? What do you do with a man who you want to ignore, but he won't let the moment pass? That is the question for us all. What do I do with Jesus? There are so many voices giving us answers, distracting us from the truth. Voices of conscience, voices of compromise, voices of anger screaming out, Crucify him, crucify him. But there is also the soft voice of Christ.
0: Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest
3: Jesus says come to me but the world and our flesh tell us to run far from him so Jesus asks this question to the world and he asks this question of
1: us he is asking this very question to you tonight
0: but who do you say that I
1: am Friday morning shortly before noon it is almost noon when they nail Jesus to the cross and there is no shade But on this day the sky begins to grow strangely dark, as if nature reflected the darkness in man's souls. For today mankind was busy putting to death the only one who really loved them, the only begotten Son of God. The blackness of man's heart was clearly felt on the hill of Calvary. Yet even as the nails pierced their way through the hands and feet of Jesus' body, there comes from his lips,
0: Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing.
1: Friday afternoon, 2 p.m. Calvary is a lonely place for the dying. Three crosses are lifted high in the air. The ordeal of dying has begun. The sky has grown dark, ominously black for mid-afternoon, as though God had withdrawn His presence from the earth. The Christ, forsaken by God, to Jesus, who loved His Father perfectly, there was no greater agony. Darkness pierced His soul and rang in His plea,
0: Eli, Eli, lemasa sabachthani." My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?
1: That is a hard verse to hear. It doesn't sound like Jesus. He is God. He couldn't be abandoned. He couldn't be left alone. He couldn't be deserted in his most painful moment. But we also love this verse.
2: Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We
1: cannot have one without the other. For the spotless Lamb of God could not take away our sin without his Father leaving him alone. The question was real. Jesus really felt alone, just like we do. The only difference? We deserve it, and he didn't.
3: Friday afternoon, 3 p.m.
1: Finally, mercifully, the end has come. He speaks three more words as he takes his last breath. But these three little words moved heaven and earth. These three words tore the veil that separated us from the very presence of the living God. And these three words still turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, even today.
0: It is finished.